I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. If you're a regular listener of the show, maybe my voice has sounded a little scratchier in recent episodes. That's because I'm getting over COVID for the second time. It's been almost a year since the first time I got it, right when the state reopened in June of 2021. That time, I just had fatigue and sniffles. This time, it was harder. It put me out for days, and it's left me with a nasty cough that I'm still getting over today. You would think that after two and a half years of this pandemic, getting COVID wouldn't be as scary. But somehow, this time was worse. And it's not just about the symptoms. It's the accompanying anxiety and frustration. I don't know what a reinfection means in the long term, and I'm scared of long COVID. We talk about the pandemic a lot on this show, but even when I was facing the reinfection, I found myself still confused about our latest tools, including Paxlovid, the Pfizer antiviral pill. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle Health reporter Catherine Ho is here to talk about what we've learned about the phenomenon of viral rebounds. That's when symptoms and apparent infectiousness return after a person has completed the five-day course of Paxlovid pills. I was scared of those stories, and I chose not to take them, even though I had the chance to. We'll talk about what you should keep in mind when it comes to taking Paxlovid if you are infected or reinfected like me. Also, many parents have received the news they've been waiting for. Vaccines for kids under age 5 are nearing final authorization, which means vaccinations for those young children could start as soon as next Tuesday. They're the remaining population group that has not yet been eligible for vaccinations. What should Bay Area parents expect with vaccine rollouts? Catherine, thanks for being here. Good to be here. So Catherine, I got reinfected with COVID at the end of May, which was super disappointing because I've tried to stay super careful. But I know I'm not the only one. Many vaccinated and boosted people are getting infected or reinfected. What does that say about our current COVID variants? Yeah, you're definitely not alone. I'm sorry to hear that. I've heard from numerous friends, actually, who've had COVID now more than once, um, especially with these very contagious Omicron subvariants floating around. So I think what that tells us is that reinfection is not just possible, but probably likely if if the subvariants keep um, mutating in a way that makes them more and more infectious, which has been happening with Omicron and its various spawn, I guess you could say. You know, you, I think, were um, infected the first time last year mm-hmm. with a different variant. Right. That um, was Delta. And Delta, yeah, you got hit with the Delta. Um, and it was the Omicron this time. So I suspect there are a lot of people in the same boat, if not already, then uh, maybe in the in the coming weeks and months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is just the nature of things. But luckily now we do have more tools under our belt, including Paxlovid. But I have to admit, all these concerns over Paxlovid viral rebound got me sort of concerned about taking it. I had the opportunity to, but I ultimately chose not to take it. How real is this concern over rebound? Was I overestimating the concern here? Well, I think the main takeaway at this point with Paxlovid is that the rebound seems to be a real thing. Uh, it's happening apparently, you know, anecdotally more often in the real world than it did in the trials. But, um, you know, I've spoken to several infectious disease doctors about this very question and their kind of resounding response at this moment is they would still 
recommend it for high-risk people. The main reason being, if you do experience rebound, um, it eventually resolves itself. And we haven't heard of any cases of rebound where someone has later gone to the hospital or had a really, really bad outcome. And that is the main purpose of Paxlovid is to keep people out of the hospital and to keep people from dying. So the doctors I spoke to still feel very confident about prescribing it. They do obviously need to understand this phenomenon a little bit better. Those studies are kind of ongoing. They haven't been completed yet. There just hasn't really been um, enough time to analyze it fully. Are there any theories about why viral rebound is happening? I understand that timing of when you take the prescription might be a factor here. I would call that uh, a little bit of speculation, but maybe observational, you know, educated speculation. Anecdotally, some doctors have observed that if you take it super early in your infection, like say you're pre-symptomatic or you're on day one of symptoms, the chance of rebound might be higher. And so the thinking might be, you know, if you start it on day two or three instead, you might have lower chances of rebound. We really don't know yet. That's kind of one of the theories that's being bandied around. And, you know, the explanation for that could be that, um, you know, if you start it later, it gives your own immune um, response a little bit more time to recognize the virus and kind of rev up. So that by the time you finish the Paxlovid inside of your system, your body is just, I guess, better able to fight it. The last time we chatted on the show, we talked about how some doctors weren't familiar with Paxlovid, so they weren't prescribing it. Since then, the usage of Paxlovid is growing. Is it still really recommended for high-risk people, or is there broader use of the drug now? Well, right now, it's still just for high-risk people. I think the the thing with the um, the rebound is that, you know, a lot of doctors now say, okay, it really should not be for low-risk people. Because if you rebound, not only does that mean your symptoms could come back, it could mean your infectiousness comes back. So you could potentially transmit it for more days to other people around you. So this is right, right now still just for high-risk people, but still recommended for high-risk people. Mm-hmm. And Paxlovid is called a game changer. It's been called that from the beginning because of how it prevents hospitalizations and deaths like you're describing. What does rebound mean for people who are immunocompromised? So for people who are immunocompromised, I think everything is just at kind of higher stakes. Um, you know, they tend to hang on to the virus, you know, shed the virus for longer periods of time than people who are um, uh, not immunocompromised. Um, they also tend to get sicker for longer periods of time. And so that's the group that doctors are really most concerned about when it comes to treatment. So there are some early discussions among um, doctors in the medical community about whether um, down the road they might want to do treatment of Paxlovid for more than five days. Five days is the current authorized period of time that you have to take the pills, but the discussions are are kind of starting. So it seems like maybe because reinfections are becoming more and more common now, it might be a good idea to have a conversation with your doctor about a Paxlovid strategy instead of waiting for an infection to happen and having to fight against the clock of this window of time of when you're supposed to take it. Are doctors recommending folks to figure out how you want to handle 
a potential Paxlovid prescription before an infection? Yeah, the doctors I spoke to um, say it is a good idea if you are a high-risk person, Um, not everybody, but if you are a high-risk person that would be eligible for Paxlovid, it would be a good idea to think ahead a bit and not... um, not necessarily try to get a prescription before you have COVID, but if you do have COVID, you know, you can, you can start to think about, okay, well, who's my doctor? Can I reach them quickly? What's the fastest way? Can I message them? You know, does their office typically get back to people within 24 hours or will it take many days? You know, you can kind of um, sketch out a strategy for yourself so that um, you won't be starting from scratch if you do test positive. More with Catherine Ho after a quick break. We'll chat about a significant development in the pandemic. The last population group that hasn't yet had access to vaccines is finally getting their turn. We'll talk about vaccines for kids under five. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Catherine, let's talk about some good news here, in particular for many parents who have been anxious throughout the pandemic. Healthcare providers and public health departments in the Bay Area are going to expect their first shipments of the COVID vaccine for kids under five. Tell me more about the vaccines that are available and what does that dose regimen look like? Is it similar to what adults have been getting? So the vaccine for the under five kids, they're not authorized yet. Public health folks anticipate they will be authorized um, before the end of this month. There are some key um, FDA and CDC committee meetings scheduled uh, over the next couple weeks on this. And for those kids, the vaccine dose is smaller. So there are two uh, vaccine companies that have applied for authorization for the youngest kids. Um, It's Pfizer and Moderna, uh, the same Mm -hmm. companies that make vaccines for adults. And for both of those, the dosage for the littlest kids are uh, a fraction of what um, the doses are for older teens and for adults. And like you mentioned, federal regulators haven't yet authorized that. The FDA has to provide a formal recommendation. So does the CDC. What are they waiting for? Are they still trying to make sure that it's safe? What kinds of information are they trying to conclude? So they are still going over the clinical trial results. So we, the public has not seen very detailed results yet. We've seen what Pfizer and Moderna have released in their press releases, which is kind of like top line efficacy figures. They're just going to be drilling down a lot more in detail into those numbers. So Mm -hmm. um, both of those companies have submitted those um, to the FDA. Uh, We have not seen them yet, we as the public, um, but we should be getting getting to see those soon because the committee meetings are public and um, all this info will be, you know, presented in, in very detailed slides and charts and um, we'll be seeing all of that very soon. Every rollout during the pandemic has been slow. Do we expect that also with the kids vaccines? Who might be the first kids who will get the shots? My guess would be the first kids will to get the shots will be the ones whose parents are the most um, excited or anxious to sign them up. You know, we're in such a different stage in the pandemic now than we were when the vaccines first came out. And there was such a there was so much urgency initially because it was older adults who were really 
getting very, very sick and dying at um, much higher rates than younger kids are. So I would say the um, the energy right now, the urgency around this right now is not quite that high. Um, but there are still, of course, uh, many, many families out there who just can't wait to get their little ones vaccinated. Um, so I think what they should expect is, um, you know, they may not be able to get that first shot on the first day or even the first week um, because the supplies are going to be rolling out kind of incrementally uh, for the first few weeks. Um, but they should expect to be able to get that appointment within, you know, a few weeks, I think, is, is, mm-hmm. a, is a reasonable expectation from what our local health officials have said. And where would parents be able to find it? Will it be in their pediatrician's offices? Yeah, so a lot of the vaccinations for the youngest ones will be in pediatrician's offices or uh, family doctors. Um, And so, you know, like initially, a lot of this was handled by um, the counties with these like large mass vaccination sites. We won't be seeing as much of that because traditionally the Uh, pediatric vaccinations have been handled by pediatricians. So I think it will get um, a lot more absorbed into that workflow and and, and that system um, for the Mm -hmm. youngest kids. Mm -hmm. So I assume, Catherine, there's going to be a lot of happy Bay Area parents listening to this. But I wonder also, what is the overall demand for kids' vaccines across the country. We know the Bay Area has high rates of vaccination. That's not necessarily the case elsewhere. Yeah, so nationally, the uptake for the youngest kids is expected to be pretty low. So um, right now, the closest thing we can compare it to is the next youngest group, which is 5 to 11-year-olds. And in the U.S., that rate is around 35 percent, which is not super high compared to the older groups who are, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent plus vaccinated. It's, It's higher the higher in age you go. It is different, as you pointed out, in the Bay Area. But even within the Bay Area, there is a little bit of variation. So San Francisco, I would imagine, you know, their rates right now for 5 to 11-year-olds are higher than 70%, which is which is high. Um, mm-hmm. I would expect that to be more or less true for the youngest kids. Um, but in areas like, for example, Solano County, um, their rates for 5 to 11-year-olds is somewhere around 35. So... Is there any advice for parents who are eager to get their kids vaccinated, or is it just going to be an exercise of patience now? I think it'll probably just take some patience. I I think the parents who are probably the most eager already have a plan in place, I would think. Maybe have already Mm -hmm. talked to their um, pediatricians about it and uh, maybe even sign up for alerts. You know, like some offices are um, letting patients know when they expect to get those shipments in, which is soon. So I think we'll be hearing a lot more about this in the next um, few weeks. In the grand scheme of the pandemic, it's it's pretty major news. You know, this is the last group of people in this country that haven't been able to get vaccinated yet. And that's had a lot of kind of ripple effects, mm-hmm. not just in schools, but in, you know, daycares and, and things where kids, even if they may not be at super high risk of getting really sick themselves, Um, can transmit to parents, to caregivers. Um, And now that, you know, those youngest kids hopefully can soon get vaccinated, um, that does kind of lower the risk in those settings for everyone. So I think this is pretty um, significant development. Good news for sure. Catherine, this is so helpful. Thank you so much as always. Thank you. Catherine Ho is a health reporter at The Chronicle. Find her stories about Paxlovid and vaccines for the youngest children at sfchronicle.com and The Chronicle app. 
Thank you to King Kaufman for the edits and to you for listening. <laughs>